I'm fully aware that there are so many in this room who needs and continuously needs the reminder that he is in fact the way maker, that he is the promise keeper, the light in the darkness. And so many of you are probably sitting in this room and at some point you believed the culture's lie that if I, if I have this, if I take this, then I will have all the affirmation that I need in my life. Or you've bought into the lie that if I just have this, if, if I can get this, then, then I will be as beautiful as the world says I will be. Or if I can just take this, I will have all that I ever need. And what ends up happening is that in the midst of this, in the midst of you searching after alcohol, continuously going after this thing, you wind up feeling empty. And so now you're caught in this addiction that you can't break out of. But thank goodness that we have this reminder that Jesus is the way maker, amen? He is a miracle working father. So here we are, you're sitting here and, and maybe it's not alcohol, maybe it is something else, maybe it's relationships. You go from, from one relationship to the next, always going to, from one person to the next because that one person lets you down and does not fulfill you, does not, does not sustain you. And like a kid on monkey bars goes from one to the next to the next, always at the end of the day feeling empty. This isn't what culture promised me this would be. It could be the, the ladder of success. Climbing that ladder to, to get to the tip top and as soon as you get there, you realize when you got there how alone and empty you feel now that you are there. It's not what I was promised. And while the world continues to break its promise to us, this song reminds us that who is the promise keeper, church? Jesus, he is the promise keeper keeper. See, the reality about culture, reality about society is that it is a self-indulgent, denial-less society. That is where we live, and it has always been this way. The Bible speaks to this consistently throughout the Old Testament. As we look back, we see the kings of Israel and Judah continuously doing evil in the sight of the Lord, doing their own thing that would indulge themselves, not following the ways of God. We see David, King David, a man after God's own heart, the greatest king in all of Israel, was so self-indulgent, he found a woman that he admired and wanted, made sure that her husband died so that he could have her. And then we go all the way back to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve put in the garden, this perfect garden. They could eat of any tree they wanted except for one tree. You got all this, God said, Adam and Eve, look, I've given you this lush garden, it's so beautiful. You can have all this fruit, you can have all of this, it's all yours. Hey, just don't eat of this one tree. And then what did they do? They bought into the lie that what God said isn't actually what God said. So they ate. This morning, as we finish up our series on disciplines, spiritual disciplines, I get to bring you the discipline of fasting. And what we see in the story of Adam and Eve, 
was that the very first sin that was committed in scripture was the breaking of a fast. Stay away from this. And they couldn't. They bought into the law that eating of that tree, eating of that fruit would be okay. That it would enlighten them to be like God. And so they did. And ever since then, trickled down all the way down to us, we are naturally, our human heart, our sinful nature is a self-indulgent, denial-less heart. And that's where we find ourselves. The discipline of fasting is often misunderstood and, and pretty much unpopular. Nobody really likes the idea of having to abstain from food. Am I right? Yeah. Y'all don't like that. I don't like it either. But here we are. So, uh, but fasting, we have to understand fully what fasting is before we are able to understand, enjoy, and appreciate what it actually is. So this is the definition of fasting. It'll be on the screen. Fasting is the self-denial of food or normal necessities in order to intentionally attend to God in prayer. So fasting, from the biblical understanding, if you look in God's word, every time throughout all of scripture you see the word fasting, it is talking about fasting, abstaining from food. Things began uh, to change uh, once Jesus came around, which I'll explain in just a minute. Uh, But once we understand that we are denying ourselves from what we believe actually fills us and sustains us, we understand that we can widen this definition to include other things. There's a difference in the disciplines of engagement and a discipline of absence. There are two columns in spiritual disciplines, one of discipline of engagement, and then you have disciplines of abstinence. Disciplines of engagement are disciplines like worship, what we just did, we participated. We, we put our whole self out there. It's Bible intake, it's prayer. It's when we're actually doing this action to go out there and, and do something and participate. A discipline of engagement is like what Jerry preached about last week on simplicity and uh, fasting. It's abstaining. It's staying away from, it's removing oneself from or removing something from you. So it's very different on how we understand it. Now, in the Old Testament, I'm gonna get into teaching mode for just a second, so y'all just bear with me, but then we'll cross the bridge, I promise. In the Old Testament, fasting was always connected with the mourning over sin and the repentance of it. It was always this grieving of one's sin and repentance of it. All of the Hebrews on the Day of Atonement would do this very thing where they would fast on this day and mourn and weep over their sin because they were so broken by it. In the book of Joel, Joel was part of God's call to repentance and Joel spent time fasting in this way. When Jonah went to Nineveh and Jonah preached to Nineveh, Nineveh it says that when they, 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 they completely repented of their sin, it said that the whole entire city fasted in grieving over their sin. They were mourning over their sin. Ezra, uh, Ezra fasted on behalf of the Israelites. He was, Ezra was a prophet that was supposed to bring worship back to the people of Israel after captivity. And what he did was they were, they were, they were, Israel was, was, uh, was involved in some pretty heinous sins. And Ezra, on behalf of the people, fasted and tore his clothes so broken for their sin, was asking for forgiveness on their behalf. That's what we see in the Old Testament, this mourning, this grieving, this this pain over their sin. The Hebrew word for fasting suggests the repentant humbling of the soul before God. And when we get to Jesus, fasting begins to take a shift. You see, when Jesus came, 
Jesus was the one who brought the forgiveness of sins so people didn't have to mourn and grieve over their sin, but they still participated in fasting. In Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 and 15, it says this, Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Jesus was saying that fasting was for the mourning and grieving over sin, but here I am, I'm the one bringing the forgiveness of sins for you. I'm releasing the chains of sin over your life. Therefore, I'm here. You do not have to mourn over it anymore. Why would you waste time mourning right now when I am in your presence? So we begin to see the change of fasting uh, after Jesus. You see, Paul alludes to this in 2 Corinthians as he begins to explain this. They wanted to set aside distractions and focus on God's will for their lives. So it began to shift a little bit. Fasting was used after Jesus as a way to wait on God. Wait to discern and know his will for his people. So I have two truths in the passage of Matthew chapter 6, which is where we find ourselves. I have two truths this morning that will hopefully bring to light the, the reality of fasting, the beauty behind it, and the fruit that we can see from it. So truth number one here in, in, in Matthew chapter 6, when you fast, avoid self-indulgence. When you fast, avoid self-indulgence. Verse 16 says this, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. This passage here, we find uh, Jesus is preaching the most popular sermon in all of history, which is the Sermon on the Mount. There are so many people who are listening to the sermon as he is up on the mountain preaching this. And if you look in chapter 6, there, there are three main disciplines that he hits on in this section, and fasting is the third one. The first one is the giving of alms. The second one is prayer. And the third one is where we are, fasting. It's interesting that Jesus highlights these three main disciplines all together. We don't ever dispute the reality that we should give. We don't dispute the reality that we should pray. And in the same breath, Jesus is saying, when you fast... This was expected. This discipline was an expected one. When you fast, not if you fast. But he says, when you fast, do not look gloomy. Now this word means that, that they, they look sad, they look defeated. And in the Greek, the actual word itself means that they would actually neglect their appearance. So to bring this home for you, this is what they would do. Uh, ladies, they wouldn't put makeup on, they wouldn't fix their hair. Guys, we'd wear sweatpants to work. We would, we would milk it for all it's worth. Like, look at me. Look at what I'm doing. I'm, 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 I'm fasting, which means I'm suffering. Please look at me. Look how holy I am. When we look at the giving of alms and prayer, Jesus uses the same terminology. He says, don't be like the hypocrites who do this. He says the same thing about fasting. It's not about you and your appearance and what you're supposed to look like. And I'll give you an example. So my son Christian is two years old, and he is extremely funny, all right? So this summer, he was at the pool, he's at PG pool, and he was outside on the concrete, and he was running like he's not supposed to, 
and he fell, and he scraped both of his knees, and there was blood everywhere. And if you're like me, and you are not a blood-seeing type of person, I'm just thankful I wasn't there that day, um, but there was blood everywhere. And I want to give a shout-out to, there are several moms who are in this room who were at the pool that day, and they, they came to the rescue and helped, and we so appreciate you. Um, but my son, he had both of his knees were all scraped up. And so for the next couple of days, we're going through the healing process. Well, if there was no Band-Aid on this kid's knees, he acted like nothing was wrong. He was running around, having a good old time, just, you know, falling, jumping, wrestling, doing all the normal two-year-old Christian things. And then it was time to put the Band-Aids on because we needed to, you know, make sure he doesn't get hurt, put some Neosporin, put the Band-Aids on. And the moment that we put the Band-Aids on, he all of a sudden became handicapped. Like, I'm not, like, this is the honest truth. We strapped those Band-Aids on, and this kid would then hold his knees and walk around the house like this. He was milking it. He knew, he knew, as a two-year-old, knew that we knew he was hurting, and so he milked it. He did. And if any of you have kids, you know what I'm talking about. Like, this happens, right? He was just like milking it. Oh, every little thing, every sad face, every... And then if you go to take the bandit off, he would slap your hand like, no, no, it's hurt, I'm broken. And, and so that's what he was doing. And so Jesus, in this story, is saying, don't be like that. Don't be like that. Don't allow the pain you may be experiencing to show in the middle of this. Don't allow whatever suffering that you may be feeling in this to be seen because it is not for others to know that you're doing this. It is not for them to look at you and say, you're so holy, you're so righteous, I pity you that you're going through what you're having to go through, that you're depriving yourself of of whatever this thing is. Oh, how sorry I feel for you. That is not and never was and never will be the point of fasting. But that is what the hypocrites did. The reason we fast is to deny ourselves of things that control us in order to find our sustenance in Jesus. The reason we fast is to deny ourselves of things that control us in order to find our sustenance in Jesus. And when you focus on what is being denied, when you focus on whatever that thing is, you are missing the point. When you focus on, let's say you're fasting from food, and you're focused on, oh, how, how empty my stomach is. Oh, how I'm starving. I don't know if I'm going to make it. When, when you are focused on, maybe you're fasting from social media like Facebook, and you're in the middle of that, and you're, and you're fasting, and you're so worried that you're missing out on what everybody else is doing, and I, I don't know how I'm going to get through another day by not knowing how their, how their Halloween but pumpkin carving trip went. I'm never going to know. When you're focused on being away from your phone for too long that you're potentially missing an opportunity to text somebody, you are missing the point of fasting. Because when you are focused on those things, you are ultimately still focused on you. That's the reality of this situation. And when you do fasting the correct way, and I'll get to this in just a minute on what we do, but when you fast the correct way, you see these things begin to bubble to the surface. You see them begin to come to the surface and now you have to deal with them. Richard Foster, who wrote the book Celebration of Discipline, says this, what goes on spiritually is much more important than what is happening bodily. You will be engaging in spiritual warfare that will necessitate using all the weapons 
of Ephesians 6. Now, Ephesians 6 is where we find uh, the whole armor of God. As Paul puts it out and says, this is what you need to engage truly in spiritual warfare that is happening around you. And when you fast correctly, you begin to see anger. You begin to see jealousy. You begin to see pride. And other things begin to boil to the surface. And here's what you don't do. When you see those things rise to the surface, you don't suppress them and put them back down. Because what what's happened is in Ephesians chapter 5, right before that, it says that what the light shows in the darkness then becomes light. So all the stuff that's within your heart now becomes revealed and you don't like it. You don't like what you see. So our natural response is to suppress it, push it back down where it belongs and allow it to stay in the shadows. But when you put on the full armor of God, it doesn't allow you to do that. You begin to engage in spiritual warfare with God's help fighting these, these sinful, these sinful desires, these sinful um, compulsions within you. Any discipline that we've gone over in the last nine weeks, any of these disciplines, if done to be seen by others, is the incorrect way of doing any of them. That is not the purpose. Donald Whitney, who wrote the book Spiritual Disciplines of the Christian Life, his whole chapter is, is mainly on uh, on fasting from food specifically. He said, without a spiritual purpose of your fast, it's just a weight loss fast. He said, and without a purpose, fasting can be a miserable, self-centered experience. And I'm gonna go out on a limb and say, maybe there are some of you in this room who have, who have attempted fasting and, and, and thought, man, this is a miserable experience. It was not what I thought it was going to to be. Jesus says at the end of this passage, they have received their reward. What is their reward? It's recognition. Recognition from others. If that is what you seek, if that is what you crave, recognition, affirmation by others, you'll get it. And there is your reward. You get it right here, right now but you get no more. Why? What Jerry preached last week, if you, if you recall, Jerry preached the passage that comes right after what I'm preaching this morning, which says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what is he saying? Looking for affirmation from other people is building up treasure here on earth. And he's saying, if that's where your treasure is, then this is where your heart will stay, is right here. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, which is a complete heart change. It is a complete mindset change. As Paul would allude to this in Colossians chapter 3 when he says, set your minds on the things above where you are hidden with Christ. Do not seek your eyes on the things here, but on the things above. Because when you do that, that's where your heart will go. And it won't stay here. You see, Jesus himself is the only one who can fill that void of emptiness that you have in your heart right now. 
And many of you are sitting in here and you've got addictions and you've got compulsions and you're trying to feel this thing in your heart that is, it just gives you this sense of emptiness. You feel so empty. And so you're grabbing at things, everything that you can see, anything that culture will promise will fill that, will fill that void in your heart. You're reaching over here to try and pull it in. You're reaching over here to try and pull it in and you're stuffing it in there to realize that it's just letting you down. It does nothing it does not fill you. It does not sustain you. The reality is, is that Jesus himself is the only one who can fill that void of emptiness that you feel in your heart right now. He was the only worthy sacrifice. And his denial of self should set an example for us. Jesus, who was fully God and he was fully man, limited himself to do the will of the Father. So just before this, we see in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus had been in the wilderness and had fasted for 40 days. It says that he was hungry. And then Satan begins to tempt him. And he said, if you are the son of God, do this. And then in Matthew chapter 27, we see Jesus on the cross. Scripture said he was thirsty. And the people jeered and were chanting all around him, if you are the son of God, do this. But Jesus was not here to do the will of man or to impress them, but to show them the way back to the Father. His sacrifice loosened the chains of sin and death for us. Listen, he opened the cage that we were trapped in. And when you run back to sex, when you run back to alcohol, when you run back to relationships or whatever it is for you, you run back into the prison in which he freed you from in the first place. And that cage was never meant to sustain you. It only contains you. And Jesus is saying, look, why are you mourning over your sin? Here I am. I'm the bridegroom. I'm in your presence, and I'm giving you the forgiveness of your sins so that you don't have to sit in misery and in pain anymore. You are free from it. Run to Jesus. Run to Jesus, who will be the only sustainer of your heart. I implore you, whatever your struggle may be here today, I implore you to run to him. Not back to the addiction, not back to the compulsion, not back to whatever it is that you're trying to fit in this, in this hole, this empty space in your heart. It is Jesus. It is only him. We keep going through this passage. We see the second truth here in, in Matthew chapter six. When you fast, seek the Father. When you fast, seek the Father. Verses 17 and 18. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So we see now the opposite of self-indulgence. Do it in secrecy. When you fast, it's not so that others see you. It's only for God to see you. So when you're fasting, seek the Father, not self-indulgence. You see, it's God's word alone that sustains us. If we look back to Deuteronomy 8, we see uh, uh, the Israelites, and, and what we see is this being said, and he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your father, fathers know, that he might make you uh, know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So fast forward back to Matthew chapter four, where I just mentioned a second ago, when Satan tempts Jesus. Remember, he's been fasting for 40 days. Jesus has not eaten in 40 days. 
Scripture says he's hungry. And so the first temptation, the first thing Satan says, hey, turn these stones into bread. First off, he could, right? He could easily do that. But this is what he says instead. This is what he says instead. He says, it's written that man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So he alludes to Deuteronomy chapter eight. Jesus echoes the word that were, that were uh, prophesied in, in Deuteronomy. And he says that bread alone does not give life, but it is in fact the word of God. Do we need food? Yes, we do. But spiritual life does not come from food. Spiritual life does not come from things. Spiritual life does not come from social media. It does not come from affirmation from people. It does not come from, from, from wanting the perfect life as you look on social media. Spiritual life comes from the word of God. Food may fill your stomach, but God's word fills your life. And so when we fast, here's what we have to understand, is that when we fast, it's not just abstaining. It's not just abstinence. If it's stopped there, then what we see is legalism. What we see is just obeying the rules. Okay, I just won't eat for a certain period of time and then all will be good. Nope, that's legalism. You can't stop at emptying yourself. You have to absolutely fill yourself with the right thing. Let me give you an example. Let's say that you buy a house and you walk into this house and you realize, man, this house is very shaky. It's leaning one way, the walls are cracking, everything's creaking. So you pull up the floors to figure out what's wrong and you look under the house and you see nothing but sand. The sand was put down as a foundation for the house. Well, sand wasn't meant to be the lasting foundation for a house. So you think, okay, well, I gotta get all the sand out. So get all the sand out, get it all out. So now the sand is now uh, out from under the house. But now what's the problem? You have no foundation now. You have nothing. It's not just getting rid of what's underneath. It's filling it with what belongs there. And scripture says that what belongs there is God's word itself. Because this is what gives life. That emptiness that you feel can be found right here. Foster says, therefore in experiences of fasting, we are not so much abstaining from food as we are feasting on the word of God. Fasting is feasting. So if we go back to what Jesus said at the very beginning of this, he says, when you fast, don't look gloomy. Don't look defeated. Don't neglect your appearance. Why? Because it shouldn't be as miserable as you think it should be because, as, as Whitney says in his book, it's actually not a miserable experience when you are truly feasting on God's word, that life-giving word that he has given to us to fill that void within us. So when you are emptying yourself of all the things that you're trying to fill yourself with, but you are filling yourself with God's word. When you are feasting on it the way that you should be and allowing it to, to penetrate your heart and fill your heart with the life-giving nature that it has, it's not as miserable as you think. It's joyful. That's what he's saying here. And I know that many of you in this room are struggling with emptiness as you sit here this morning. That you have tried one thing after another to try to fill this void and you continue, you continue to be let down, feeling empty, 
trying to find the next best thing to fill it. Many of you have allowed appearance, your appearance to be the foundation in your life. You want people to know that you've got it together. You want people to know that you know what you're doing. And you've allowed that be the foundation of your life. That was never meant to. Many of you search social media consistently, looking and being jealous over the lives of other people, saying, I wish I had what they had. And that jealousy begins to take root in your heart. Many of you have allowed your spouse to be the foundation of your heart, and then when they let you down, the whole house comes crumbling down. For many of you, it could be your children. You've allowed the children to be the foundation of your heart and you have staked everything you have on them. Which two things, number one, it's unfair to them. And number two, they'll never sustain you. They weren't meant to. Even when we try to fill ourselves with good things, it won't sustain us. It was never meant to. Fasting is the process of getting rid of what sustains you, that you feel like sustains you, but filling your foundation with what was meant to sustain you, which is God's word. So I have a few practical tips for you, but then not only do I have practical tips, but what I also have for you, it'll be up on the screen, are some fruit that we see from fasting. I know that many of you, this is, this is a step that you may be afraid to take because you're not exactly sure of what may come out. Well, what we're gonna see is that there are easy practical steps and there is good fruit that comes from fasting. So here's some practical steps. Number one, have your Bible open. Have your Bible open during times of fasting. If fasting is going to be actually you feasting on God's word, then you have to have it open. And someone came to me after the first service and they were like, okay, well, where do I go? And I said, well, here's what you can do. Start in the Psalms, read and pray through the Psalms during that time. And the more that you cultivate this, the more you cultivate being in God's word, you begin to be very aware of yourself. You begin to be very aware of what, what is down in your heart. And the more you get to know scripture, the more you know, I need to go here and rest in this for a while. So have your Bible open. Secondly, relax and breathe deeply. Relax and breathe deeply. So if you fast from food, and even if you fast from other addictions, what you begin to see is your body being so used to this, it begins to have a physiological effect on you. You begin to feel weak, lightheaded. You begin to uh, have headaches. Whatever these things may be, in the middle of this, relax and breathe deeply. Because the more you panic, the more convoluted your thoughts become. Thirdly, Offer yourself in prayer. In this time, say, God, I'm yours. Whatever is in my heart, you find whatever it is, which is what David prayed in Psalm 139. Lord, search me and know if there's any grievous way in me. Because David couldn't see it himself. And so he prayed, God, reveal in me what you already know. Bring it to the surface. God, I'm yours. And what this also does is it also eliminates the idea that our prayer is, is God, all right, man, uh, can you help me with this? Help me with that, help me with this. All right, I'm out, peace, bye. This is very much resting in him. 
which means you have to stop and rest and listen. Fourthly, address excessive attachments or appetites. This is so crucially important because what's gonna happen is like I said earlier, this stuff's gonna rise to the top. And if you're, and if you're fasting from food, you'll, you'll come eventually to that term, right, that we call hangry. And so you'll think to yourself, oh, I'm, I'm angry. It's because I'm fasting. But, but the reality of what it is is that you legitimately have the spirit of anger within you and now it's being revealed. And when you abstain from things like social media or whatever it is, you begin to feel more jealousy and more pride than whatever that is. And that's not because of the fast. That is because it's there. That's because it's right here. And now that the lot is being shown on it, you don't like it. So now you have to deal with it. You have to address it. You don't suppress it. You address it. Uh, Fifthly, repent and wait on God. Repent and wait on God. It, it, it's part of offering yourself, but offering your sins. God, I know this is, this is an issue that I have. I know that I've been this way, and, but God, fill me with your forgiveness. Allow these chains to be loosened off of me and whatever it may be for you. And then, and then lastly here, seek strength for perseverance from God. Seek strength for perseverance from God. The one who gives you strength, the one who gives you the very breath that you have in your lungs right now is him. I'll tell you this quick story. I know like I'm, I'm going way over and I apologize, but here we go. So uh, not too long ago, a couple months ago, there was, there was a situation where uh, I had to make a, a quick decision. And I mean like a decision within like four hours. Like they were like, we need to do it in like four hours today. And if you say yes, then you basically start doing this thing on Wednesday, which this call came on a Monday. So I had two days before I started this thing and I had four hours to say yes or no. Well, I was in a panic because I was like, I don't know what to do. I weighed out the pros and cons, and that was helping. So Andrew Walker, a good friend of mine, who is the pastor over at East Marion Baptist Church, he said, well, why don't, you, why don't you fast from lunch and just seek God on this? And I'm like, okay. Doesn't sound like the best idea because maybe I should eat a Subway sandwich, but, um, but yeah, no, I think you're right, Andrew. So that's what I did. And so what I did is, is I went, and I went into the youth building, actually. I turned up some worship music. I had my Bible open. And then, because I'm me, is I just began to continue to weigh out the pros and cons, and then I was just pacing back and forth. Wasn't even looking at this, was still trying to problem solve in my head, which, which is none of all of this that I've already said to you. And I couldn't come up with a decision, and then I began to get more and more frustrated because I was like, God, like, I, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do because I'm supposed to make this decision. And I wasn't resting, I wasn't stopping, I wasn't even looking in his word. So I finally flipped, and I kind of, came across Psalm 13, which I, I kid you not, this is, how, this is how funny God is, is that I came to Psalm 13, which says, be still and wait on the Lord. And I literally was like, well, God, I don't have time to wait right now. I need your answer right now. Because <laughs> I'm like two hours from the phone calls, so I'm like two hours away from giving this. So, so but when I did, I, I said, okay, okay, I'm done. And so I dropped on my knees and I said, God, I'm yours. I'm being still, I'm waiting on you. And then all of my thoughts, everything that I was trying to do, all the problem solving that I was doing just began to settle, like, like dust just began to settle. And it all became crystal clear. And it was no doubt that God's will for me in this situation came through so 
bright and clear, and this is how I know that it was him, is because when I said no, I felt no remorse. There was nothing within me that was like, oh, but what if I, uh, no, it was, this is what God wants. The answer is no. And, I, and it was just amazing. And it was, it was an opportunity of fasting that I never truly experienced before. But we have to be still. We have to have our Bible open. We have to relax and breathe deeply. All of these things in order to really seek him out. So, okay, I'm almost done. Now, the fruit. We're going to talk about the fruit of what fasting is. I'm going to give you a few. And then, and then I'll pray us out. So, a, f- a couple fruit that we see from this. Number one, we see repenting from self-indulgent, addictive, or compulsive behaviors. So here's a reality. Many of you in this room have addictions. Many of you have compulsive behaviors that need to be addressed. And when you begin to, when you begin to fast in the correct biblical way, you begin to see repentance from these. Because many of you are in, are in a specific addiction that you can't break out of right now. And you're, and you're singing this song that we sang before this and saying, God, I know that you are a miracle worker and I need you. I need you to work a miracle in my life. You are there right now and I know it. So fasting is a way for you to get to this place where God can begin to truly work in your heart as you rest in him and rest in his sustenance. Secondly, it allows small deprivations to remind you of Jesus' great sacrifice. So abstaining from social media or abstaining from food or abstaining from something allows you to see the reality of Jesus' great sacrifice on the cross. That he would deny himself such that he went on the cross for me. That he deprived himself. He is the son of God and he could have gotten himself off that cross. He is the son of God and he could have turned those stones into bread. He could have, but he didn't because he was here to do the will of the Father so that we could have a way back to him. So that the things that, we, that control us right now, the things that we think sustain us, would have no place. Fourthly, find strength from God. You begin to find strength from God. Many of you are, 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 are pedaling the bicycle all by yourself and you're pedaling uphill and you're tired and you're weary and you're wore out. And when you begin to, to do this fasting correctly, you begin to find strength from him. And lastly, what we see is that it frees up time for prayer. In the busyness of life, it can be so often that we don't make the time. That we'll just say a quick prayer before we go to something and, and just say, God, this is yours, and then I'm out. And this allows you to sit and wait and rest and talk to God so that his will can be revealed in you. I pray as we go from here, and this, is, and this is the last sermon series on disciplines, that these disciplines will truly set you up in a place to where you can feel God's grace and feel his love and feel his joy. I'm gonna pray for us. God, you are so good. We praise you for your love. We praise you for your mercy. God, we praise you for your son Jesus and the great sacrifice that he had on the cross. God, allow us to go from here as we attempt 
to, to apply the discipline of fasting in any of the other disciplines that we've talked about over the last nine weeks, that we would truly seek you, that we would know you, that we would feel your presence, that we would do it solely for the sake of seeking you out and not for our own appearance, not for affirmation. But God, as we continue to go through these, that you would purge from all of us, me included, the darkness in our hearts that we don't want to see so that we can begin to engage in this spiritual warfare with you to fight it, to replace it with your love, with your word that you've given to us. God, I pray if there's someone in this room who does not know you and has never experienced your life-changing salvation, I pray that today is the day that you spend send the Holy Spirit to, to, to transform them into a new creation. God, you are so good. It's in your name we pray. Amen.